Once again, we have gathered on this, uh, the Lord's Day, uh, to celebrate, to edify, to worship uh, the person and work of Jesus. And we are working through uh, a letter from a man named Paul inside the New Testament uh, to a young man in the faith, uh, his prodigy, his son in the faith, a young man named Timothy, who Paul has sent and left at a church called Ephesus. And this is a church that Paul planted himself, that he, he loved this church. He spent about three years uh, with these people before he went on to plant church after church after church after church once it was established. And yet, uh, we see a few years after he has planted this church in Ephesus uh, that a large amount of problems have begun to take place within this congregation, that there is fighting in the congregation, and they are not fighting over the gospel or not fighting for the gospel, they are fighting over the gospel and what that really means. And so false teachers, um, even false elders, false pastors, have weaseled their way into position and have began to lead people within the church astray or into a, a counterfeit Christianity. A Christianity that often is like if you've ever, this past week was uh, Valentine's Day, in case guys you forgot that, um, you're in trouble. Um, but uh, if you have ever been to a gas station and bought a gas station fake rose, have you seen those? It's got like a, uh, uh, it looks like a rose, but it's, it's fake. Um, they will even make it smell like a rose, and they'll even take like hot glue and put hot glue drops on it to make it look like it has water drops on it. But you know what that thing is not? A rose. All right? If you showed up this past week with a, with a funeral arrangement, claiming and hoping that that was a, uh, a Valentine's Day gift for your special someone, I want you to know, again, you messed up. All right? Nobody wants fake roses on Valentine's Day. You want the real authentic thing, and yet there are people who are claiming a Christianity. They are claiming to know a Jesus, and yet this Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. It is not the gospel of the Bible. And brothers and sisters, I would contend to you that this is not only an issue for the church at Ephesus, but this is an issue for Mission Church. This is an issue for the church in America, the church of Bowling Green, that there can be a type of Christ, that there can be false Christ that people are following, that there can be false gospels that people are following, and that you and I must be aware of those things. Last week we preached a sermon called Pray the Gospel. And we get that from this passage that we also read today. And it's found in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy where it says, First of all then, I urge you that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And so we learned last week the importance of praying for all people and what all people meant and the importance of having evangelistic prayers. And so Paul goes on that he, he wants them to understand that some of the false teaching that has been placed inside of the church is this idea of elitism, that you have to be a certain 
person or a certain type of person or possibly even a certain race of people or that you've got to jump through specific hoops in order to be saved by Jesus. And all of that goes contrary to the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul wants this young pastor to know and to lead the church, not merely to pray for people that look like them, but to evangelistically pray and believe that Jesus can save all types of people. And so then he goes on to give us an example of those all types. And who are those all types? He said, for kings and for all who are in high positions. And I explained beautifully and poetically last week, if I do say so myself, that uh, the king, this would have been a huge gasp as the readers of this letter would have read this because there was a notorious, terrible, rotten, wretched, wicked king named Nero that surely if anybody is going to hell, that brother is going and yet Paul is commissioning this young man, this pastor in this church to pray for their worst of enemies, believing that Jesus can save even kings. So we talked a lot about what does it mean for us to be an evangelistic, that we pray evangelistically, that we have people that we can name, not just, Lord, save all the people on the planet, all right? But that we can call out specific lost people that we are praying that God would arrest their hearts. You know, some of you are sitting here today because your mama had an evangelistic prayer toward you. And she also drug you to church by your ear. All right? And slapped you when you fell asleep. Okay? Why? There was an evangelistic God she wanted, your daddy wanted, your friend, your granny, your pastor, somebody prayed for you. And God is calling us to do those same sorts of things. And yet God does not cause us to stop with just praying that evangelistic prayers also lead us to evangelistic preaching. But we've got to know the why between those two things, evangelistic praying and evangelistic preaching. But what we're going to look at this morning at the very beginning is the why. Why pray evangelistically? Why preach evangelistically? Well, the Bible is luckily going to tell us and I want you to know it is going to tell us perfectly. It looks, look back at your Bible in verse 2 there. It says, For kings and all who are in high positions, that they may lead peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Verse 3, where we'll start to the verse 7 tonight, or this morning. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires, and if you have your own Bible, I want you to circle here. I think this is the second time in this paragraph, the word all. It's the third time, actually, but it's the second time that it's meant in the same way. Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Verse 4a, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Now, brothers and sisters, for those of you who don't know much about church history, 
That's why we show you the first half of Behold Your God every week, because we believe that church history is extremely important. You are not here without a historical legacy that has come before you. And we need to know who these people are. So if you're in our CMCs, you're learning about people like John Knox. We've learned about A.W. Tozer, Charles Spurgeon, all different sorts of people throughout church history. But if you know anything about church history and anything about this particular passage of Scripture or, or anything involving this passage of Scripture, there is probably single-handedly not one verse other than, than this one. It definitely ranks way up there that has caused more conflict within the church than the passage I just read you in verse 4a where it says, Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth? And this conflict is not taking place outside of Christianity. But this passage is often used as a bullet and an artillery to cause much conflict within the church. All over a small little word called all. What does all mean? What does all mean? What does this passage mean? Now, I, I want to pastor you well. And so what I'm going to do here at the very beginning, if this is theological, sorry, the Bible says it has sound doctrine, okay? And so I want to show you the four main conflicts with the verse that I just read for you. Who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. These are the four ways, that the four main ways that people have both argued in different positions, but believe that these four things are true. Of which, though, um, except for the last two, they can't all be true. Okay? And you need to know these because these are very popular within the American church. And I would even suppose that several of you in this room even adhere to two of these which are wrong. The first one is, the first way that a lot of people interpret it, um, even within American Christianity, maybe even within our church, this is the, the leading, growing religion, I would argue, within inside of the American church, is this. Number one, is that everyone will be saved. That everyone will be saved. And where do they get that? According to this verse. God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. See, these people have a high view of God. And they're preaching this. We have former presidents who believe this way. These are people in high positions that believe that all roads, all paths, whether you are Muslim, Hindu, Christian or whatever, at the end of the day, when you stand before God, when all of those people stand before God, they will be standing before the same God. This is called universalism, and this is one of the major passages inside of the Scripture that seems to promote that idea. Why? God, who desires all people to, get, to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. And so they understand that, guess what? What God wants... God gets, and he says right here that God wants all men, all women throughout history and into the future to be saved. And so, brothers and sisters, guess what's going to happen? They will be. 
Because God gets what God wants. They connected this to a passage inside the book of Revelation. I think it's Revelation 5, 9, somewhere around there. That says what? See, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess what? Jesus is Lord. All right? So God is an inclusive of everyone. God is so loving that they triumph God's love over all of his other character attributes in his nature. And they say, man, God is going to save everyone on the planet. That even if a hell does exist, it will be empty except for Satan and his demons. Because God is so loving that when it's all said and done, yes, he's going to call out all of our sins. But in the person and work of Jesus upon the cross and in the resurrection, Jesus will eventually say, Come on in, and you will kneel down, and you will bow, and you will confess that Jesus is Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, many, according to the statistics, who claim to be Christians, this is what you believe. And it comes from this passage. Brothers and sisters, people, friends, though this is a fast-moving and fast-growing belief within a side of American Christianity and outside of it. This is a great false teaching. This is, presents a false Christ. And it presents a counterfeit gospel. This simply is not what this passage means, especially when you look at the full body of God's work called the Scripture. We see there is a day of judgment coming. And that those who are saved do not get what they deserve. And yet those who go to hell rightfully deserve that. All men and women, all boys and girls deserve hell. And yet God is saving some of those in order to go to heaven. And everyone that goes to hell, they deserve it. Universalism is not the gospel of the Bible. It is a false gospel presenting a false Jesus. I'm warning you to stay away from this mentality. Do I wish it's true? Yes. I wish this was the reality, and yet that is not what the Bible preaches or teaches for us to follow. The second interpretation of this passage, again, God who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, the second and probably most popular within American Christianity, or the second most popular, I would say the first one is probably universalism, the second most popular is this interpretation. That God desires everyone who has ever been saved to be saved, and yet not everyone will allow God to save them. Do you get the difference? The first one is everybody's going to be saved. The second interpretation is, man, God wants to save every single person. Every single person. He is begging, asking, he's desiring for you emotionally and everyone who has ever been and every person who will ever be. He is wanting them to be saved and yet does not have the power to do that because the decision is really laced, laid upon every man, woman, boy, and girl. God wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone will allow 
him to save them. This has become extremely popular in the last few hundred years within American Christianity, especially since the revivalism movement, since enlightenment, and this whole idea of freedom and freedom of the will. This is a, a predominant scripture used in what's called the Trinity for what's called Arminianism, including in that is, is John 3.16, this passage, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, and then a passage also in Peter are the passages that, that people will often use to say, see, God wants everyone to be saved. But not everyone will allow him to do it. The issue with this is, is that this means that the will of God is controlled by the will of man. This belief declares that God is more concerned with protecting man's freedom than protecting God's holiness. To believe this is to question God's character, meaning God desires something. Get this image of God, that, that God desires something to happen on the planet, but he does not have the power within himself to accomplish this task. This paints an image and a picture of God of him pacing back and forth in the heavenly realm and, and begging people on this planet and throughout history and into the future to come to him, and yet he simply cannot do anything about their will. Brothers and sisters, does this not go against what Psalm chapter 115 says in verse 3 where it says, Our God is in the heavens and he does as he pleases? Or Psalm chapter 135, 6 that says, Whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the deeps. Whereas we went through last year in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of whose will? Man's will? No. The Bible says his will, meaning God's will. This idea that God cannot influence and place grace and impute grace and his kindness upon an individual, guess what? It is irresistible, brothers and sisters. This goes against the character and nature of God. See, brothers and sisters, you can, you can question my character. You can question the character of our president. You can question the character of your neighbor. But it is rather unhealthy for you to question the character and nature of God. See, brothers and sisters, one of the biggest ploys of the enemy is for you to do that very thing. Confessionally, the enemy will often attack me and make me question whether or not God is good or if God cares. This week I was doing my, my daily devotional, my CBR journal, and I'm working through the Gospel of Mark right now. And I came through a story that I've read a bazillion number of times, but currently because of the situation I'm in, our family is dealing with, there was a passage or a line inside of this, 
this story between Jesus and his disciples that literally hit me in the gut like a punch. You guys remember the story when, when Jesus is with the disciples, and they've not been following him very long, but they get into a boat, right? And, and as they're going across the sea, the Bible says that a big storm comes and that, um, that the, the disciples are all freaking out, right? And what does it tell us that Jesus is doing? That he's asleep. Brother's out. Have you ever been on a boat during a storm? I have. Kentucky Lake with my daddy on a boat. And it was scary. It was scary. When you look at a grown man and your little boy and your daddy's eyes look like saucers, and there are literally lake waves crashing into the boat, guess what you do? You get scared. All right? And what's interesting, as I was reading this passage, and again, they're, they're, they're wondering, and they're wondering what is happening. And the Bible says, says that they, they run over to Jesus in Mark chapter 4, verse 38, and they say this to Jesus. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care that we are hurting? That you do, do you not care that we are suffering? Do you not care that we are dying? Do you not care that we are perishing, Jesus? Like, look, I mean, Peter's over there just hauling, bailing water. This, this boat is shaking. This life is shaking. We are going to die. Do you not care that we're perishing? Yeah, what does the Bible tell us? Jesus gets up. And he says, what are you afraid of? You have little faith. Storm. And what happens? Just like that, the winds and the wave stop. And then in verse 41, in that same chapter, it says, and they were filled with great fear and said to one, or, one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? See, brothers and sisters, though they had been following Jesus for a little while, they did not know who, they, who he was. They did not understand that God was in the boat. They did not understand that the creator, the Bible tells us, of everything, Jesus himself was the, the, the great artist that, that painted this great thing that we know as creation. And so why can the wind and the waves stop? Because Jesus is God. And though they kind of knew him, they did not know him as who he was. They call him even what? Teacher. Do you not care that we are perishing? See, brothers and sisters, that's the way the enemy works in our lives. He makes us want to question God, makes us want to question his character, and makes us want to edify our own abilities and what we know and our cognitive understanding above that of God's. And yet, what have we learned? That God is not like you and I. That he is not like us. That is, 
God, this passage, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth, it certainly does not mean that everyone will be saved. And yet, brothers and sisters, it certainly does not mean that God desires everyone to be saved, but, does not ha- that, but that he does not have the power to save them. It surely cannot mean that. So then what does it mean? And I would give you two interpretations that definitely I believe that the Scripture points to that it could possibly be. The good thing is, these last two are not in conflict with each other, but the last two are definitely in conflict with the first two. The third one, which I'm not going to spend much time on, is this. Again, the verse, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. The third interpretation of this is that God has decreed things and God has declared things, all right? That God has a decreed will. This is what happens in the world. There's a void, and boom, there's a planet. He has decreed that. Nothing can thwart that. He is going to do that, those sorts of things. It is a a command as the creative being that this is what is going to happen. The sending of Jesus, that is a decreed thing. It is a decreed will of God. And yet we see inside of Scripture there is also the declared will of God. What's the difference? Well, the declared will of God is like a commandment. Don't murder. And yet what do people do? Hopefully not you. Right? They murder people. Don't covet. This is the will of God. And yet what do people do? All right, so you see the difference. There is the the decreed will of God and there is the declared will of God and both of those things are different. All right, one is definitely going to happen. The other is a command will of God of which you can disobey. So I'm not gonna spend much time on this because Pastor Todd preached a sermon on that very thing on December the 30th. That was excellent. It's on our website and I would encourage you to go and look at that. So I think that that is a potential and healthy and biblical interpretation of this passage because we see this idea throughout the Bible, okay? The first two, we do not, but this one we do. The fourth one is this. Again, God desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of truth. Is this one, is the fourth interpretation. Hopefully, if you have not learned anything from Pastor Todd, Pastor Justin, myself, is this, is that context matters. The context of a passage matters. And yet we have an Instagram Bible where we like to cherry pick things and totally pull things out of context that don't mean what we like for them to mean. All right? Like, don't judge lest ye be judged right? Or Jeremiah, right? God has a a plan for you, not to harm you. You know who that was for? Jeremiah. Not you. Yet you got it on a coffee mug right now, right? You got some lame Christian t-shirt, okay? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And it'll be tattooed across your pectoral muscle as you go into a cage to beat up a man, I can do all things through Christ. Lord, I can take this test. I can get out of this ticket. 
right? I can eat all this food at the buffet. All things through Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Finally, somebody unthawed in here. Appreciate it, right? You see what I'm getting at here? Context matters, okay? It matters. Context of this passage matters. And I would encourage you that this fourth interpretation, though the third one I think is a viable biblical interpretation, I think that this fourth interpretation is the best one because it's contextually accurate. And that is this. God wants all types of people to be saved. God wants all types of people to be saved. We must learn, brothers and sisters, to be good readers. All does not always mean all, every single one. Sometimes all can mean all different types. For instance, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, it says this. Listen to me. First of all, then, I urge you with supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings to be made for all people. What is Paul telling Timothy? To pray for all people, which he is also telling us to do, to pray for all people. And so if you adhere to this idea that all means every single person on the planet, then what should you and I be doing right now and we've been failing miserably at? Praying for all people. Like you better Google search yellow pages, every name on the planet and start praying for them because if you believe that all means all in the midst of meaning every single person, then you and I are wasting our time here. We got to repent and get out the phone book. You still know what that is, right? A phone book and pray for every single person on the planet. But you don't believe that all means all. Or this one in Luke chapter 21, verse 38. It says this, In the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Does anybody believe this morning that every single person on the planet came to Jesus as he was preaching in the temple that morning? No, you don't. You are smart people. All right? I went to public school. Some of y'all, like, didn't. All right? In 1 Timothy 2.6, which we're about to get to, says, who gave himself as a ransom for all. What does ransom mean? It means to buy something. All right? It's closely connected to the word inside the scripture to redeem, to buy back something. And if the Bible says that Jesus paid for the ransom for all, what does that mean then? According to wrong interpretations universalism is true then that he paid for it all that he paid for every single individual on the planet past present and future if all means all every individual past present and future then everyone is going to be in heaven And yet that's not what it means. And you, you know that logically. 
You know that. We use these sorts of terminologies all the time, don't we? I ate every one of them. Right? You go to a movie, pay 50 bucks for a large popcorn, layered butter. You've got to make sure you tell them that. I want layered butter. Okay? Not put it just on the top. Layered. I even do this. When it comes to my food, it's like, I want my bacon like that. Don't be giving me that floppy bacon. I want, all right, layered popcorn, right? And you tell people, yeah, I ate it all. But you shared it with your kids, right? It's, it's, it's this picture. It's a, it, 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 he's saying all types. God wants to save all types of people. He desires all types of people be saved. And you know what? If he desires it, then it is going to happen according to the counsel of his will. So what is the main aim of this passage? What is the main point of this passage? Brothers and sisters, humbly, I'm telling you, I believe that the enemy has used this passage for probably now thousands of years to cause inward fighting that should never be there if we are reading the passage contextually and in view of all of the scripture that Jesus is laying before us. See, for Timothy, he would have not gotten caught up into the bait of Paul's words here he would have understood them perfectly. But see, the debate has led us away from the point of this passage, of these first seven verses in chapter 2. We've gotten so caught up in, what is all here? What is all, man? Jesus wants to save everybody. Jesus is saving everybody, all right? And, and yet that's not what the passage is saying, and we get so caught up in wanting to fight and break fellowship over that passage when the reality is, is the lower half of the passage is what's driving the beginning part of the passage. I put it like this in my notes. Evangelistic praying leads to evangelistic preaching, and the result is God will save all kinds of people. Evangelistic praying leads to evangelistic preaching, and the result is God will save all kinds of people. Look in verse 4b and, and following. To come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given to the proper time. For, for I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I'm telling the truth. Why is Paul having to say to Timothy, I'm telling the truth? Because what's in the church? A bunch of people not telling the truth. And so he tells him, and I'm telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of who? The Gentiles. Who did the Jews believe that salvation was not for? The Gentiles. So again, contextually, what is Paul showing here? Pray for all kinds of people. Who are some of the all kinds of people? Leaders, rulers in high places. God's desire is to save all kinds of people, including who? I'm a preacher to the Gentiles. C student, homeschool, not homeschool, public school, Franklin Simpson Public School. Go Wildcats. Okay? It does not take a doctorate degree to understand this. But you know what it does take? It takes a devil for us to get so wrapped up into what the passage does not mean and to fight that we will not be about God's business of what it does mean. 
We need to get this. Paul is saying, out of the all, look at how many times, all, 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 all. But then he flips the script when he says, but there is for the all types, there is one God. There is one mediator. There is one ransom. And there is one gospel for the nation. So all of this plurality is single-handedly, it comes down to this idea of one God, one mediator, one ransom, one gospel for the nation. So what does this mean for us? This means this. We pray for all types of people. All types. Specifically, all types. We preach to all types of people. All types. Do you get that mission, church? I am pleading with you to get this. Because we've missed it. God has called us to pray for all types. He has called us to preach for all types of people. Why? Because God could save all types of people. But God should save none. Yet God has chosen to save some. But God is the only one for all. We pray for all types. We preach to all types. God could save all, but he's chosen not to do that. God should save none. And yet, what has he chosen to do? He has chosen to save none, and that, that, or to save some. And we need to understand that some is bazillions of people. But out of everybody, there is only one God. Brothers and sisters, our faith is exclusive. It is. There is only one God. It is exclusive in that. And you're living in a pluralistic society. It's called religious pluralism. Again, it's this belief by many, especially if you're listening to Hollywood or Washington. Is this idea that all of these faiths lead to one God, and they simply do not. They do not. And how do we know this? Because if you talk to a Mormon, the Jesus they're talking about is not the Jesus I follow. It is not the Jesus of the Bible. The Hindus believe in Jesus, but they do not believe in the Jesus of the Bible. All right? The Buddhists believe in Jesus. The Muslims believe in Jesus. But it is not the Jesus of the Scripture. So if you want to be prayerfully evangelistic and preaching evangelistically, then one of the greatest questions you can ask somebody is, which Jesus do you follow? Because there are many counterfeits out there. Which one do you follow? Brothers and sisters, our faith is exclusive. It's called the Shema in the Old Testament. Our God, there is one God. There is one. But it is inclusive because of the types of people that God is going to save all types of people. And isn't this beautiful that there is going to be diversity and it's not something that we have to have a seminar at work to teach people how to do. That we don't have to come up with the unity and diversity. All these sayings that we don't have to have uh, uh, different 
people groups in order to support different people groups. But in heaven, because Jesus is going to save all different kinds of people, let us not get this idea that heaven is a vacant place, but that heaven is filled to the brim with every color, every language, every tribe, every mixture that we can come up with, that there are no empty rooms inside of heaven, but every one of them is filled with a diverse tapestry of the image bearers of God whom he has saved through Jesus. No empty rooms. Isn't that awesome? There's no racism there. There's none of this, well, if you're going to come to my heaven, you better speak my language. And I'm so thankful that that in, in the holy, holy, holy worship chorus that we're going to sing, I, I completely believe that if there are different styles in heaven, that we will experience them all. And, but if there is only one, we are going to love it infinitely. But I'm praying there's some soul there. I'm praying that there's a bunch of people who can clap on beat, and they will teach the white church how to do that. I grew up in a church filled with tambourines. You know what that is? That makes the devil run. Because that is a terrible sound. All right? Especially when it's offbeat. And I don't even care if that tambourine is in the shape of an igthus. That's the fish, Christian fish. Right? And people just beating the heck out of that. All right? The ladies in gowns with ribbons. Right? Jesus may love that. But I'm just, I'm not po- focusing at Jesus at all. I'm just looking at the woman twirling. Write your name with it. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know exactly what it's going to be like, but brothers and sisters, we need to understand it is going to be filled with diversity of inclusivity, all focusing on one God. One one God. His name is Jesus. There are not many ways. There is one way. His name is Jesus. Brothers and sisters, do you understand when we look at this term that there is a mediator between you and God, a holy God that you can't even step, you can't even see his backside according to the Old Testament without coming down off the mountain looking like a glow worm where people can't even look at you. 80s reference, glow worm. Google it. Why? God is holy. He is not like you and me. He cannot even be in our presence. And yet, what does the Bible say? Is that there is one mediator. Aren't you glad that in the great chasm between God's character and nature and your character and nature, that there is an almighty Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, the great intercessor, the great mediator that is holding back the holiness of God, which allows us to come boldly and confidently in the presence of God. Why? Because when God Almighty looks upon you, he sees the ransom paid price of Jesus upon a cross that you are covered past, present, and future in the blood of Jesus. And so you can stand before an almighty God. Why? Because there is one mediator. His name is Jesus. And he has done everything that God has required for you and I and for the diverse tapestry that he is going to welcome into his kingdom. 
And that is awesome sauce. That's amazing. Think of those things. So mission, please, please hear me. Please, please, Lord Jesus. Please, Jesus, do a work in our heart here at Mission. Mission, we need to repent of our lack of prayer. Specifically, the lack of evangelistic prayer for the lost. We also need to repent for our our lack of of evangelistic preaching. And I am not talking about what me, Pastor Justin, Pastor Todd is doing up here on a Sunday morning. This is to be equipping. But we need to repent of what God has called us to do here, to pray for the lost, specifically by name. And for everyone in this room, if you're claiming to be a follower of Jesus, to preach, maybe it's not like me, Chris Dindy got up here and was flailing his arms. We'd be like, oh, that's weird. (laughs) Write your name with it. I mean, Chris would be like, excuse me, write write your name with this, right? I mean, it it would be weird. We'd all be like, that brother's trying to be somebody he is not. You be you in Jesus Do not blame God's sovereignty on your lack of spreading the gospel. We cannot do that, Mission Church. We must be praying by name for lost people, all types of lost people. One of the most beautiful things that has happened in our church in the last few months is that diversity in our homes. But we need to be prayerfully diverse as well. But we also need to be preaching. And I, I'm telling you, I'm, I, if you just want to, and I'll take rebuke from the elders if, if I'm wrong on this, but this whole idea of I'm going to let my lifestyle be evangelism is a bunch of bull stuff. Should, should your life match what you believe? Yes, 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 yes. But our silent prayers and silent preaching is screaming to people to go to hell. And that's just the truth of the matter. You and I, if you are capable of speaking, of which some people are not, we get that. But if you are capable of putting words and sentences together and you claim to know Jesus and there is not a pacing of the floor, if there is not a waking up in the middle of the night, if there is not a Lord Jesus, get him, get her, get him, get her. I got to tell him, I got to tell her, I got to tell him, I got to tell her within you, then brothers and sisters, then there is something missing and we are screaming to all of these people, just go to hell. And we're blaming it on the sovereignty of God. I love what my friend Pastor Jeremy says to his church. Many of us in this room are waiting for the stripper to get older, to drive a minivan, and finally have kids of her own before we believe that the gospel can get her. 
And I believe that we've bought that same lie here at Mission. We've got to wait for some people to get cleaned up. We've got to wait for the guys to go through the program, and once they finally go through the program, then Jesus will finally get them. Instead of believing the first day that they come into our house, or you foster parents, the first day that they come in the house, believe that, guess what? Today could be the day of their salvation. The purpose behind your work is not a paycheck, but rather it's a worship and a mission. You worship God by working hard, and you engage in his mission by building relationships with people so that you know all kinds of people then you pray for those all kinds of people whom you work with. But it does not stop with merely praying. Beautiful are the feet of those who preach, who proclaim, who share. And ladies and gentlemen, you don't have to have all the points just right or have a cube in your hand or a bracelet God can work all of that out, but he has called you and I to do these things. So, Mission Church, who are we praying for as a church? Who are are you and I preaching to as a church? Who is our target audience? People often ask me, well, who's your target audience? Everybody in Bowling Green. No, 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 like millennials, young people, young professionals. No, no, no. Every one of them, every person that lives Bowling Green, Warren County, that's, that's who we're for. That's our target audience. That's who we're praying for. That's who we're preaching for. Brothers and sisters, may we not forget this, okay? You got to get this. Who's the gospel for? It is for all types of people, and we've got to be for all types of people. And that includes this, red, yellow, black, white, Muslim, Mormon, Jewish, Hindus, Buddhists, agnostics, atheists, Methodists, Baptists, Calvinists, Catholics, Church of Christ, Pentecostals, religious, rebellious, babies, children, tweens, teens, young adults, single adults, middle-aged adults, senior citizens, men, women, boys, girls, heterosexual, homosexual, pansexual, LGBTs, murderers, slanderers, gospelers, virgins, sex addicts, porn stars, porn watchers, teetotalers, and drunks, Druggies, drug dealers, crossfitters, gym rats, Facebookers, tweeters, Instagram models, Patriots fans, hipsters, holy rollers, weirdos, jerks, little old ladies trying to cross the street, presidents, kings, queens, dictators, radicals, democrats, republicans, independents, tea drinkers, coffee drinkers, pretty people, ugly people, neo-nazis, homeless, lower class, middle class, upper class, aborted babies, and abortion doctors, baby boomers, gent extras, millennials, tall, short, obese, skinny, moderns and postmoderns, athletic and unathletic, nice people, funny people, and happy people. Hopefully I got everybody in some way. That's who we're after. And such were some of you. And such were some of you. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, if you don't have this memorized, you need to memorize it. Because it brings about humility. And such were some of you. But you were washed. 
You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Is it still possible? Is God just got his feet upon the desk and his hands behind his head just letting this thing play out, brothers and sisters? Do we not get that the greatest days of the church have not been in our past history, but they are in our future as every tribe and every nation hears the gospel of Jesus Christ and we have the opportunity in such a time as this to be a part of God's great master plan. But please hear me. I do not preach to you like this. I do not implore you. I do not encourage you from this perspective to try to guilt you to do something, but rather On the contrary, we do not do these things out of guilt. We do them out of grace. When you really know who Jesus is, who's in your boat, who's in your life, and you know that there are lost and dying people out there who are going to go to the rightful place that they deserve called hell, and yet we know the way out. Even in God's sovereignty, let us not forget, he has accomplished and provided the means by which for those things to happen. And it is you and I praying and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And from that, he will make the elect known. Let us not forget that such were some of you. Let us not forget, we do not preach and pray out of guilt. But we preach and pray out of the grace that we have been shown. Mission Church, we need to rededicate ourselves to God's mission. Seeking and saving the lost. He's invited us to join on that. And I know that Paul says that we're to be content in all things, but we need to also understand a whole arcing view of understanding of what it means to be, if this is a Christian cliche, I'm about to throw out to you like a grenade. But there is such a thing as holy discontentment. And I believe that we have become content with the lack of evangelism, the lack of prayer, the lack of the baptistry being used, the lack of lost people. And I'm not talking about people coming from other churches, because people in other churches are lost too, and even have membership, Okay. We welcome them. But I'm talking about much more like the people I just listed on this big long list. And we have become complacent. And I know I'm fired up because I have a holy discontentment in grieving my own sin at us blaming the sovereignty of God for the lack of evangelism, the lack of baptisms, and the lack of diversity inside of this room. And I pray that God would pour out upon us his conviction to see that changed. Because there's a lot of people in Bowling Green going to hell. A lot. Let us repent. And let us come back to Jesus and his mission. Let us not get caught up into theology theological matters and divisive matters that miss the point of the scripture. Let's be about what the scripture is talking about. And that was about praying 
and about preaching. On your seat today, pulling out an old youth group tool that I used to do. And I've given you a card. We've given you a card. And sometimes we can miss the trees for the forest. And uh, I debated about this, and then I had another plan that I talked to Pastor Justin about it. I'm going to change some of this. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do, because I I think that it can be overwhelming. We, We believe it can be overwhelming. But on that car that you've been given today, guess what? It's size, it'll fit in your Bible. It'll fit in your wallet if you fold it up tight enough. It'll go in your purse. Is I want you to write the name of a person on there who is lost. I'm not saying you're trying to, I'm not talking about they go to another church and you're trying to evangelize them to ours. Stop doing that. That is not church growth. That's what we call in preacher talk, swapping sheep. Okay? I'm talking about lost. Y'all still got some lost friends? And I want you to write that lost person's name on that card. And I want you to commit to not only praying every day for that lost person, but I want you to talk to somebody else about that lost person. I want you all to pray for that lost person. But it can't stop with just the praying. I want you to commit within the next few months to preach, to better yet share the gospel after you have spent a dedicated amount of time praying the gospel to that person. You know, the Bible says we have not because we ask not. And a lot of that prayer is about it falling into the will of God. So we don't have because we're not asking according to God's will, his purpose, and his plans. And what have we laid out here before you today? God wills to save people, and he is going to do it. Let's ask him to save those lost people. But let's also pray for the courage in order to speak the gospel to those lost people. Everybody got it? Let's pray.